Okay, so today we're going to talk about the Mialdot, the midwives. Um, and also, we're prob- I also want to, if we have time, which I hope we will, um, we could also talk about Bat Paro. Um, okay, so Bat Paro. Moshe's. Mo- yes, that whatever he raised the person who okay, raised okay. Moshe. No, I was, you know, I'm on the Hagar thing. So. Right, right. So we're shifting gears. We thought it would be nice to talk about um, the Meyaldot this week because Pesach is coming. So you know, we're getting into the Galut Geula spirit. Sure. Um, so we thought it would be nice to talk about the Meyaldot. But before we introduce the Meyaldot and who they were, sorry, what's you The midwives, the midwives of Egypt. Right. So who were the midwives? Who were they? Um, and we're going to see that the Pesukim are very interesting and the commentaries have a lot to say. But before we get into who the midwives were, I want us to just spend a minute um, setting the scene for what, where the midwives are, are operating. Like, what are, they, what are the circumstances in which they're dealing with? Right? We, we typically think about, okay, so the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt and there were the midwives and they didn't listen to the king, right? But what's, what exactly is... How did this start? So we're going to start with the enslavement of the Jewish people just for a minute, and then we'll go into the midwives, okay? So I'm on source number one. Right? There was a new king all of a sudden, and the commentaries have a lot of things to say about this new king. Was he really new? Did he really not know Yosef? Fascinating, but not our topic. So here we see the paranoia starts. The Jewish people are, they're getting to be too many, right? Too numerous, right? Right? Let's be smart about them. We're going to see in the commentaries what that actually means, right? And because maybe they're going to take over when we're vulnerable, going to war, or they'll create a war, right? There's, Paro is very worried about, about the Jewish people. So he begins his process of, of the enslavement. But it's a process, right? It's not like he turns them into slaves in a day. If you look how everything is written, right? Pasukit Aleph, Vayasimu Alav Sare Misim. Right? First, he puts a tax on them. Now, that's a very normal thing to do for a king who has. Um, people settled in his country that are right not of his people. That's a very normal thing to do, right? We see Shilomo did it also. So he first taxes them, right? Lema'an anoto lotam, right? To make them suffer a little bit. And then, va'yiven aremis kenot leparo et piton ve'et ramses, right? And then they're building storehouses. Now, this is still not the intense enslavement that we're thinking of, right? They're building storehouses. Storehouses are good. They're beneficial, right? Yosef had storehouses, right? From the seven years of, right? Yeah, exactly. From the seven good years to save up for the hunger, right? Storehouses benefit everyone. I want to build a storehouse, right? Paros <laughs> announces we're having this project. We're going to build storehouses, right? That, that benefits everybody. So the Jews were on board, right? And then we have Pasuk Bet, which is kind of like to be read as a parenthesis, right? Parenthetically, right? right? Despite all of Paros' efforts to uh, subdue the Jewish people, right? They were continued to, to multiply and to spread out, right? Um, and, they, and they became uh, like they became disgusted, um, annoyed, 
from the Jewish people. And then we have, right, the, the next stage, So it's not, it's no longer a joint effort of let's build storehouses together, but let's make them work hard, right? There's all types of definitions of what farech means. Mindless work, not necessary work, work that breaks the body, right? So the work is getting more intense. And now we're getting pasuk yedalim, right? They made their lives bitter with hard work. Right? It's getting even more intense. Okay? And then, right, so here the, the enslavement reaches its intensity. And then, Pasuk Tevav, we start with the plan of instructing the midwives, the meyaldot, to kill the Jewish people, right? Right? To kill the, to kill the, the boys. All right? So, before we get to the meyaldot, like I said, I just want to point out Rashi and Ramban on this systematic um, enslavement and like, you know, demoralizing the Jewish people as a nation. So in source number two, Rashi, right? Anytime it says hava, it means it's like um, prepare yourself, right? Prepare yourself. Let's get ready to do this. Meaning let's get ready to, to enslave the people. Let's get ready to put them down. Let's get ready to stop them. The Ramban um, also very famously describes like this this very systematic um, plan of Paro in, t- in terms of how to deal with the Jewish people, right? And he addresses he's right. He was so scared of them. Why didn't he just kill them? Says the Ramban, no, that wouldn't work, right? Paro's advisors would never agree to just kill them. Right? These people were welcomed by the previous king. So that would be like a betrayal to their previous leadership, right? They're not just going to go on a killing spree. Right, the general people generally, right? We 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 generally have this impression of people. Generally, people are good, right? Generally, a group of people are not going to agree to do something so drastically immoral, right? So Paro knew this. Paro knew that his people are not just going to agree to just you know massacre an entire people. So therefore, that's not what happened with the Nazis. Um, Throwing us all off track here. So. No, but it's it is it's similar, it's similar right? in the sense that that it it was systematic, right? He mm-hmm. did start to plant slowly but surely. Slowly but surely, oh, he planted point, right? right. He planted the seeds so that eventually that behavior became acceptable. That's right. Right? That's but right. It, it wasn't like an overnight thing, let's kill all no, them. No, because you're right, exactly the, right, the people of the time weren't going to go along so with that. Learned from Napoleon. <laughs> right? And this, and this is, again, this, is, this story is, this is the story of, of, of the Jewish people and being, you know, in, in anti-Semitism and, and being in other countries that are just not happy with, with the Jewish people and, you know, all of these plans to kind of rid us of, of them. Rid them of us, rather, um, right? So, so he, so that this is why Paro came up with this systematic plan, right? So first, I'm skipping a few lines, right? hagerim ba'aretz la'alot mas, right? Like that, it's a normal thing to put a tax, right? Right, and then after all these steps, that's when he became a little bit more aggressive and commanded 
um, the thing on the meyaldot, this command on the meyaldot, on the midwives, and even that was like part of a plan, right? It still wasn't an active massacre. It was more secretive before it was outright, right? Kol ben hayelod hayeorah tashlichuhu, right? That was the outright, like, let's just kill them all, right? But it took a few steps to get there. Um, we're going to see. Good, good point. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that. Right, so the Abarbanel explains what, why only the boys. So we're all very famous with the Midrash that the stargazers looked into the stars and saw that the savior of the Jewish people was going to be a male. So that's why he was very paranoid from the males. The Abarbanel actually has an interesting spin on this. And he says that killing the males yeah. was part of the plan because you get rid of the males, the females will remain and they'll all have to marry Egyptian men, right? And this way, we're going to get rid of, we're going to get rid of the Jewish people that way, right? We'll keep the women, they'll marry Egyptian men, we'll kill the males and, and right, and that will be that. And that's why he, he instructed to kill only the, um, the males. It was part of the plan to get rid of the Jewish people, like I said, in a, in a systematic way. Okay, so this is, this is the scene. This is what the Jewish people in Egypt are facing right now. This is how Paro is dealing with the Jewish people. So enter now the Meyaldot, right? Again, they're just, they're a part of Paro's plan. So I'm going to go back to page one, source number one, Pasuk Tevav. Vayomer Melech Mitzrayim, la Meyaldot ha'ivriot. King of Egypt says to the Meyaldot Ivriot, we're going to see a couple of different translations, Asher Shem Ha'achat Shifra Veshem Hashenit Pu'ah. Right? One of the midwives was named Shifra, the other one was named Pu'ah. And what's the command that he tells them? Pasuk Tedzain, Vayomer Beyaledchen Et Ha'ivriot. Right? When you help the Jewish women give birth, Uriten Al Ha'ovnaim. Right? And you see them on the birthing stool. If it's a boy, then you should kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. And we know that the Meyaldot did not listen, right? Right? They did not listen. They did not kill the babies, right? What's interesting here is, is the words of Ra'a and right Yaren Ra'a right they're very similar in in Shoresh and Pasuk Tedzain Ur Iten Al Ha'ovnaim Paro saying you watch and you look for those boys and then you kill them but what Vatir Enna Hameyaldot Et Ha'Elokim it's like a play on words but the but the midwives were afraid right so it's almost like their fear of God. Um, you know, because of their fear of God, they, they made themselves like to not see, right? N- not literally to not see, but to kind of overlook what Paro is telling them to do and to, and to allow the, the baby boys to live. And more on, more on how they allowed the babies to live later. Now what I want to look at is your question, Ma, right? What are, who are they? Are they Jewish? Who are they? Okay, so if we look at Rashbam, right? La meyaldot ha'ivriot, I'm, I'm in source number four. La meyaldot shehem ha'ivriot, right? The, the midwives, and they are Jewish, right? And we all know the famous Rashi in source number five, Shifra zo yocheved, right? Was yocheved, was one of the midwives. Why was she called Shifra? Al shem shem et havalad. She used to make the babies beautiful. 
And Pua, I'm on top of page three, Zo Miriam, that was Miriam, her daughter. Shepoa umedaberet vehogala valad, kederech hanashim hamefaisot tinok haboche, right? She used to tell them like poo poo poo, right? Um, and she would talk to them in a soft, soft voice and baby talk to like calm the babies down. Um, okay, so that's Rashi's opinion. Fam- very famous. It's what we all learn in school. Now, how does this work? There were two midwives for the whole Jewish nation. So even Ezra addresses that. And he says, These were like the chief midwives. Not that there were only two, right? But they were the chief midwives. There were probably more than 500 midwives. Right, they were the, the heads, right, and they gave it tax from their salary. Right, and it, in many places, this was practiced in the time of the Ibn Ezra, and it was usually like a mother-daughter duo that oversaw all of the midwives, which, if you think about it, is even more impressive, right? That it was like they were the bosses and they somehow got all of the midwives under them to defy the king too, right? We typically think like, all right, Shifra and Pu'ah, they didn't listen to the king and they made the babies live. But when you think about, you know, Ibn Ezra, very logical. It can't be there were only two for all these people, but they managed to really control and and handle the situation, right? All these midwives that were working under them, they got them also to not listen. So even what they did was really even more impressive. So where does Rashi get his get his view, right? Get his opinion. Wasn't Amram the chief, like the chief, the head of, of their tribe? So, so it has to be something. Oh, so he's saying like they were both like important people. Yeah, yeah, that's... That works. That's possible, right? Amram, you're right, was somebody that people looked up to, right? And that's why the whole thing, when he separated from his wife, people followed suit. You're 100% right. But actually, the Gemara talks about it in source number seven, um, and they bring the different views of the Tanaim in the Gemara of, you know, who are they? They had to be a pair, right? Because they're picking up on these clues. Anytime it says in a pasuk, right, asher shem ha'echat blank, v'shem ha'sheni blank, right? It needs to be a pair. So where do we know a pair from, right? Ah, says the Gemara. Okay, they, they have a little bit of a machloket, right? So v'yamer melech mitram l'me'aldot ha'ibirot, rav v'shmuel, right? It's machloket rav and shmuel, like we have that many times in the Gemara. Chadamar, one of them said, isha ubita, was a mother and daughter, Vechadamar and the other one said Kala vechamota. It was a mother and her daughter-in-law. Okay, right. The, according to the one who says it was a mother and daughter, that's Yocheved and Miriam. According to the one who says it was a mother and a daughter-in-law, that's Yocheved and Elisheva. Right? Elisheva was the wife of Aharon. Aharon was also Yocheved's son. Right? And Elisheva was Aharon's wife. So Elisheva was her daughter-in-law. So it was either in the Gemara, either Yocheved and Miriam or Yocheved and Elisheva. And then what's interesting here is that the Gemara brings more reasons for why they were nicknamed, why they were called by these names, right? Velama Nikra, right? Shifra zo Yocheved, Velama Nikra Shma Shifra, why was she called Shifra? So we saw in Rashi Shemesh Aperitit Havala, she made them beautiful. Davaracher Shifra, Sheparu Veravu Yisrael Biyameha, because the Jewish people became many, 
in her days as a result of what she didn't do, mm-hmm. right? So we had Rashi's um, answer that she would talk, spoke softly to the babies. Davar acher pu'a shehaita po'a beruach hakodesh, huh? Or to the women themselves. Ah, that's nice too. They she spoke softly to the women, and and that was her role. Right, we have to keep going. Well, yes, and then that's also that fits nicely with the midrash, right? About how, about Miriam and how she convinced her father. To, to take her mother back, right? Shepo'a beruach hakodesh, and and this also, right? She had ruach hakodesh, so that's how she was able to go tell her father what she did, right? That she had ruach, she would speak ruach hakodesh, right? And here you go, like you said, veomeret atida imi sheteled ben moshia et Israel. My mother is in the future going to give birth to somebody that is going to save the Jewish people. Now. Right, it's interesting to know where Shifra, Pu'ah, like why does why do we need different names for them? Right, what why can't we just call them by their names? Um, and it's significant that they they're called by different names. We know that some people in Tanakh have two names. Usually, when they have two names, it's usually because of a good thing. It's usually to say some you know something. It's usually something positive, and we definitely see that here. Right, it's almost like. It doesn't matter that they were Yocheved and Miriam or Yocheved and Elisheva because we know that they were great people, right? It's almost like we need to give them another name um, to highlight this action, right? And to hyper-focus on this is what they did and that was great. And that's why they got these names. Names in Tanakh are always very significant, right? So until now, who were the midwives? And Yocheved, and they were... Jewish, right? They were Jewish. Ah, but there's another view in the Parshanim that, in fact, the midwives were not Jewish women, okay? So let's look at those opinions. So the Abarbanel in Amin source number eight, right, says, right? They were not Jewish. So when, when the Pasuk says, He's reading it not at like the Rashbam Hameyaldot Shehem Ivriot, the Meyaldot that are Jewish. He's reading it as Hameyaldot Et Ivriot, right? The midwives that that serviced the Jewish people, right? That's how he's reading it. And he says, source number eight, Velohayu Ivriot. They nope, they weren't Jewish because Right? Amen. How could how could he trust Jewish women to go kill the babies, right? Like he is not dumb. He knows that that's not gonna fly. Right? There were Egyptian women that worked as midwives and they would help the Jewish women give birth because that, that was their job, right? They would help them give birth. Right, right, when you help them give birth, right, and he and so despite the fact that they were Egyptian, they had this yirat shamayim and they were afraid of God. They were God fearing people, despite the fact that they were Egyptian women, and they did not. They still defied the king, right? So this, in in, in this regard, right, it's. It's 
also more praise, right? We saw more praise for, from, from the Ibn Ezra's point of view of when they were able to control this large group of women. But here, right, if you say that they're Egyptian and, they, and despite the fact that they were Egyptian, they defied their own king because of their fear of God, right? So that also highlights how, how great they were and how big what they did was. Um, the next in source number nine, the Imre Noam, which is brought, he, he's a rabbi, 14th century Torah scholar. Um, Nechama Leibowitz, in her unit on the Meyaldot, brings this, this um, commentary. And he says, Matzati sheshifra Yes, they were Egyptian. And they converted. Okay, because if you don't say that they were Egyptian, it's confusing, right? Right, same thing that the Abarbanel said. How can we tell Jewish women to, to kill other Jews? Right, I'm skipping a couple of lines. The midwives were feared God. Right, they they weren't in the beginning. They weren't. They didn't fear God, but they. Fear, they, they ended up converting because of their fear of God. Right? My Rabotaihu, right? Because if, if we don't say this, then what does it mean they feared God, right? We know Jewish women fear God, right? He's looking at this Vatir Enna. Um, he's looking at this Pasuk. Hold on, I want to quote the words. Right, but he's looking at Pasuk Yudzain, Vatir and he's saying if you interpret them as Jewish women, that's obvious. It goes without saying, right? We don't need those words if we say that they're Jewish. Ah, but the fact that we have those words shows us that they weren't Jewish and that their Yerachamayim, their fear of God, was something extraordinary. Something that we wouldn't expect, and that's why we need the Torah to tell us, right? Um, Right, my what would it add? Right, even though they were paid by Paro and bribed by Paro to do this, they did not accept it. Right, so we see that this by the fact that they were commanded to kill the Jews. Right, says the Imre Noam and Abarbanel. Also, it has to be that they were Egyptian. Um, and from this Vatir Enna that's where he gets that they converted, right? Because they were they had fear of God, so not only did they not listen, but they also converted and became Jewish people. The Midrash also supports this view, right? And the Midrash quotes a group of women in source number 10 that there were Nashim Chasidot, these great women who were converts, right? Mi ben Hagoyim. Nashim Ksherot, right? Good women, right? And we learned a lot about some of them. Hagar, right? Osnat, who was the wife of Yosef. Tziporah, right? Tziporah was not Jewish, the daughter of Yitro. Shifra, Pu'ah, right? Bat Paro, who we'll hopefully talk about later. Rachav, who we talked about last week, right? Ruth and Yael, right? So this list in the Midrash is of all these women who were not Jewish, but were great women, despite that anyway. Shifra and Pu'ah are on that list. Therefore, according to these commentaries, right, the midwives were not Jewish, they were Egyptian women. But that, that, that converted, right? Because many of the women on this list, also, they all converted, actually. Okay. Um, so we know that the, that the midwives did not listen to the king. So how does the king react? Right? I'm in source number 11. Vaikra melech mitzrayim. 
right? The king of Mitzrayim calls the Meyadot, Vayomer Lahen, and he tells them, Right? Why did you do this? Right? We'll see that that's extra, right? Why did you do this? All right, we know what they did. We don't need the Pasuk to tell us, right? We know that they did that. So what's the Pasuk coming to tell us? We're going to see soon. Vatomarna and they said Amel Dotel Paro Kilokanashim Hamitriot Haivriot Kihayot Hena. These are not like regular women. These are not like the Egyptian women. These are they're like animals, these Jewish women. Right? Before we come, they already gave birth. So this the commentaries really talk a lot about this kihayotena, right? Um, and it's an interesting choice of words because on the one hand it's like they're giving Paro what he wants. They're saying, Paro, we're on your side. These people are animals. They're we we agree with you, right? These women, they 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 right, but kihayot, right? Just like the animals that don't need help giving birth, right? They just kind of do it. That's what they do, these women, right? Terrible. And then, and then some of the other commentaries say that they were underhandedly saying this to praise the Jewish people, right? Because at the end of Sefer Bereshit, when Yaakov blesses the Shivatim, many of them are compared to certain animals, right? So Dan is compared to a snake, and Yehuda is compared to a lion, and Binyamin is compared to a wolf, right? So that's what he's saying, literally chayot, right? They were literally blessed um, with these certain qualities of animals. So that's... Very interesting choice of words, kind of like telling Paro, like, yeah, we're on your side, but also like, you know, very well aware of, of what they're saying. Right? And what the Meyadot did was good in God's eyes. Right? And the nation continued to be many and to grow strong. And as a reward for being God-fearing women, they Hashem Vayaslahem Batim, he made for them houses. This also, there's a lot of interpretation on what does that mean Vayaslahem Batim, right? So if you go according to that they were Mitriot, that they were not Jewish. So God made them successful and God built them strong houses and they got a lot of reward, you know, in Olam Hazeh and Olam Haba in terms of their family life. That was their reward. And then, according, Rashi brings this one down, right? Yochebed and Miriam, they got Batim, he translates as not houses, but as dynasties. So Yochebed was blessed with the dynasty of, of the priesthood, of the Kehuna. And Miriam was blessed with the dynasty of the royal dynasty, right, of kings. So that's how he translates Batim. But whatever, however way you translate it, right, it's very clear that these women were, were rewarded very, very nicely for, for what they did, and rightfully so. Right, and then we have Ayatzav Paro Lechol Once he sees this plan with the midwives wasn't working, uh, all the baby boys just throw them in the in the Nile, and all of the baby girls can continue to live. Paro is continuing his plan, right? So I want to look at this, the seemingly extra words of right? We know Paro said, why'd you do this? What does that mean, right? It seems to be extra, these words. We don't need them. What does that mean? They maintain the children in life. So according to Rashi, they would give them water and food. So not only did they not kill them, right? But they would go out of their way to make sure that the babies were okay, right? They would go above and beyond. Ibn Ezra the same goes in the same direction, 
right? Bechol kochan yoter mi mishpat harishon, right? More than the first thing that they just didn't listen. Ki because right? Otherwise, why do we need this extra saying, right? Exactly in the same direction as Rashi. Um, and the Midrash also picks up on this double language and, and Shmot Rabbah, and they say... Right, we we know that they didn't listen to the king. Why do we need to say that they, you know, maintain them? I'm going to skip a couple of lines. I'm on the th- second to last line. Right, yesh kilus betoch kilus. Right, it's a, it's a praise for them. Right, what did they? Not only did they not listen to the king, but what they used to do was they used to take note of which families could not sustain their babies because they were poor. And they would go get water and food from the houses of the wealthy women and sustain the babies, you know, the poor babies with that food and water, right? So the point is, is that not just did they defy the king and not listen, but they went out of their way specifically to make sure that the kids were okay, right? And that's perhaps why Paro was so angry because, you know, they could have just not killed them, but also just not done anything more. Like, you know, been a little bit more passive about it. But no, they actively defied the king and they actively made sure that the babies were okay. Question? No. Oh, you look like you had a question. Okay, good. So until now, we saw two very strong views. Like, I, I, every time I think about this, I can't figure out which argument is more compelling. Right? They're either Jewish midwives or they are Egyptian midwives. Defied the king and very big win and, and significant um, save and intervention for the Jewish people. Now I want to look at the other woman who also did something very, very significant at this time, and that is Bat Paro, the daughter of Paro. So let's meet the daughter of Paro. Let's read how the Pesukim describe her and, and what she did. I'm in source number 13. Um, Right, the daughter of Paro goes down to the Nile to bathe, to wash herself. And her, and her maidservants are walking with her. Right, she sees the teva, right? The mother of Moshe put, put Moshe in a little, little basket. And she sees the basket among the reeds. Vatishlach et amata, and she sends forth her. How does the English translate it? We'll just go with that. Um, she sp- and sent ah. So the English, this English, she sent her slave girl. Right? Mm-hmm. She sends her servant to go get it. Vatikacheha, and she takes it. Vatiftach, she opens the basket. Vatir ehu, and she sees that hayeled vehine naar bochen. That's also the commentaries why naar why doesn't say baby. Vatachmol um, alav, and she had pity on him. Vatomer miyaldeha ivrim ze. She said, "This is a Jewish baby." Okay, so why is it that she stretched her hand and it got? Well, that will be the good. We're gonna. <laughs> That's natural. It, it, so it's it's an it's an opinion, and right. we're gonna see it very very so soon. Is this yes. what, this is what it says. It says it. So it says vatishlach et amata. The word in the pasuk is ama. That's why with translations, right? It's never. Sometimes the translation is like a commentary because right the words don't always translate exactly. Right? If you have one word that can mean two things in a language, and then you translate it into a different language. So, like, 
by default, you have to pick one. But it says here, she, the slave girl got be- it. Because ama could also be a, like an amas, a, a servant. And I'm right. And Amma is a unit of measure, oh. which is the measure of the forearm. Oh, 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 oh so she was young. And Amma, yeah. so it can mean either slave girl or. I mean, you know, so she's not well. very. You know, she doesn't have the same length as a full-grown woman in terms of, you know. Right? Well, right. Well, we're, we're in the opinion that it's stretched, right? It's it's ama purposefully because it's stretched many amot, right? I think I lost my thought. Okay, <laughs> right. If yeah, you yeah. remember, just stop me. No. Um, right. So the the meaning the commentaries pick up on this strange usage of the word ama. What does that mean? Ama was it her hand? What right? It's ambiguous. So that's okay. why. Um, so can mean both. Can mean both, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, you're saying that right. it was her servant or it was her own arm that stretched. Exactly. That's Meaning, a big variance between yeah. and, a and noun and a adjective or a verb. Because we don't know, right? right? We don't know because amam literally can mean two things. So the commentaries all, right? They say, what, what do you mean? Which one, right? The commentaries that say, and we'll see, right? Why, if it was her hand, why didn't it just say yada? Ah, so it must be that it wasn't her, right? Uh, but if, right? Right, right. So it's almost like irrespective of the way she did it, right? The bottom line is that she did it, right? But what's interesting is that around the birth of Moshe, there are a lot of these, like, the Midrash has a lot of um, these, like, extraordinary events that happened around the birth of Moshe, right? And I think that that's intentional, right? It's like, this is, this is the guy, right? This wow, is special. So the Pasuk says that, right, the, the, when he was born, um, Yocheved, his mother, right, kitovhu, that he was good. Duh, every mother, every mother thinks their baby is good. What does that mean, right? We never saw that in Tanakh, that every time a baby is born, a mom thinks they're good. This is obvious. What is, so what does that mean? So the, so the commentaries say that his face was filled with light and the house filled up with light when he was born, right? Some of them link it tov to bereshit. Every time something was created, God said ki tov, right? He had the special light from creation. Um, all of these sort of like miraculous things to highlight that this was, you know, somebody special. So that's, well, so that, so that midrash of the outstretched arm is, is a part of that, right? Uh, there's a lot of things you could take from that, right? This determination, right? She really wanted to go save him. It seemed like he was so out of reach, right? Women the king, just for him to be yeah, so Rav, Rav Meidan um, of, of Yeshivat Haratzion in the Gush has a great article about how, like, Moshe's life is, is Moshe owes his life to, like, all women. It was like a beautiful article. Yes. Yeah. 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 And he goes through all of the women that like contributed to Moshe being who he was and it's, and saved him in different like capacities. And it's, it's really a beautiful article. Um, so, right. And she was determined to defy the king. Like you said, she was determined to save this baby and it seemed out of reach, whether figuratively or quite literally. Right. But God helped her in whatever way to do what she wanted to do, to do the right thing. Um, so definitely, there's, there's a lot to say about that, and it's very significant. We could learn a lot from that. Um, okay? So from here we see there's, there's a lot of verbs in these two pesukim, hey and vav, right? I, I bolded all of them, but she went down, and she saw, and she sent, and she took, right? She's going out of her way to do this, right? She, her father's 
would forget about it, right? She's not allowed to be doing this and she's going out of her way to do something that she's not supposed to be doing. And if you don't believe me by the, you know, clues and the verbs in the text, right? In two pesukim, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight verbs in two pesukim. Uh, you're saying she was an internal struggle. No, it's like a split, like, thought. Like, I know she knows, you, she knows she's going to see them, but Oh, like that's interesting. That she takes like, is another bird, That's she interesting. Goes down. Like that was once the first right. Half, and then she that. sees, and no, then she takes them. That's how oh, she's reading that's it. That's, that's how she's like interpreting yeah. it. No, that's okay. very nice. Like okay, yeah. sometimes when we're like we know what the right thing to do is. But yeah. we have to, we need like the extra, like that extra result. You know what I mean? And like we have to almost like right. talk ourselves into it. So that for right. sure it could yeah. be yeah. it. Very within the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, right? And so even, right? So we, we got it from the Pesukim. But even if you don't believe us that it's from the Pesukim, clearly the commentaries are very uh, willing and, and speak very, very positively about what she did. So we'll see this. Um, midrash about what, that the Gemara brings in of why she was in the Nile. Okay, v'tered bat paroli yichotel hayor why she go? Amar Rabbi Yochanan mishun Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai milamed sheyardal yichot migilule bet aviha. Right, she went to go wash herself from the avodazara of her father's house. Right, so she didn't even do anything yet. Right, and already the Gemara is is presenting her as this woman who was a great woman. Right, there's, she's not just any ordinary Egyptian princess. There's something to her, and the Gemara wants us to know that. The commentary wants us to know that from before she does anything, from the time that she even just goes into the Nile. All right, the next one, Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, another midrash. Right, why did she go into the into the river? The Haita Bat Paro. She had this like skin um, condition. She couldn't bathe in warm water. So she went to the Nile, right? She went to the Nile, it was cool. She saw the baby crying. And she, she took it, she took the basket and she became cured, right? So this I let, goes along with your resolve, right? I'm not sure, should I do it, should I not? And then it's like she gets a sign that she's doing the right thing, so she keeps going, Right? She has the skin condition, and all of a sudden she's cured once she takes this baby. So it like reaffirms her decision to take the baby, right? Amra hanar hazet tzadiku, right? She says to herself, "This nar, there's got to be he's a tzadik. There's got to be something to him, right?" V'kiyamto lechayim, and she sustained him. V'chol hamekayem nefesh achat kiilu kiyem olam male, right? We talked about this last week also with the two spies, right? Anybody who preserves a life. Um, one life, it's as if he preserved the whole world, right? The whole hameabed nefeshachad, anybody who k- takes away your life is like killing the whole world, right? Therefore, she merited a good life in this world and in the next world. Um, I lost my train of thought. I wanted to add something to that, now I don't remember, right? So she knew that this baby was. Uh, a, a righteous baby. She. Oh, this is what I wanted to say, right? We also have a statement: Shakul Moshe Keneged Kol Israel, right? That Moshe himself was equal to all of Bnei Israel. The commentaries bring that up in, I think, a couple of prakim, like right before Matan Torah, Perak Yudchet Yudtet in in Shemot, um, right? So she knew that there was something special to this to this baby, to this guy, 
Um, and, and she took him in and she saved him, despite what her father said. Uh-huh. Now, not only despite what her father said, but in the next source, the Gemara brings um, something about her, about her servants, about her ne'arot. I'm in source number 16, right? Vateret ha-teva. She sees the teva. And she wants to go save the baby. Amrula, her maid servants tell her, Gvirtenu, our mistress, our leader, princess. Min hagoshel olam, melech basar vadam gozer gzeraim kol haolam kulo en mekayminota. Right? If a king makes a rule, even if the whole world, if their people doesn't do it, don't do it, then his household should do it, right? His family should support him in his decrees, right? Respect his authority. Even if the people don't respect his authority, right? You're his daughter. You should respect his authority. You're, you're, you're going against what your father said. And the Malach Gabriel came and beat them to the ground and he killed them. Right? So again, like all of these miraculous things, A, around the birth of Moshe, B, with, you know, but Paro wanting to save him, right? And, and we see that she's going out of her way and she has every reason not to do it, but she's doing it anyway. And God's helping her do it, right? Like God's, God's kind of like egging her on, right? And supporting her. Which is which is beautiful also, right? When we do the right thing, Hashem really helps us. Um, next, next Marama, this is for you, right? Or who, whoever brought about the outstretched arm, okay? Vatishlachet amata, vatikacheha, right? She stretched out her ama and she took it. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Nechemia, machloket. Chadamar, one of them said yada, her hand. The Chadamar, shivchata, her servant, right? Um, right? So the, according to the one that says that it was her, her servant, right? Why, why does it serve him? Because otherwise it would say hand, right? It says ama specifically, mm, right? And then, the, and then the Gemara addresses if it was, if Gabrielle killed all of the, the, her, her ne'arot, her maidens, Right? So had she send her, they left her one, so not to leave the princess alone, right? Um, well, they think of everything. <laughs> they do, exactly. Before they even ask the question. <laughs> right? Um, and, right, Kamash Malan, and then the, the end piece of the Gemara also talks about, right, so why use the term if it was, if it was yada, right? Why use the term ama instead of yada if you really meant her hand? Because, right, kamash malan de ishtar bav ishtar bove, right? That her hand stretched out many amot, many, right? Ama, like you said, is a unit of measure, so it stretched out many amot, many, you know, measurements, right? So if an ama is like, I think it's like the measurement of the forearm, so it stretched out many, many forearms. So it could it could mean either one. Um, and then her her reward, right? This is such a beautiful midrash. Amar la kadosh baruchu. Hashem said to to the daughter of Paro, right? We call the daughter of Paro. She's never referred to as Batya in the pesukim, mm-hmm. right? But we all know her as Batya. Where'd she get her name from? Mm. And that's exactly what the midrash says. It's a beautiful midrash. Amar la kadosh baruchu le Batya bat Paro. Hashem t- told Batya, the daughter of Paro. Moshe lo haya bnech v'karato bnech af'at. Right? Moshe was not your son, but you called him your son. 
Lo at biti, you're not my daughter. Vani koreotach biti, but I'm going to call you my daughter. And that's how she gets the name Batya. It's a beautiful midrash, right? What does Batya mean? Daughter of God. Bat, yeah, right? Daughter of God. Um, beautiful, beautiful midrash. And, and, right, it's also important to note Moshe, we call him Moshe, right? Because her, she, that's the name she gave him. Because I drew him from the water. He could have had another name. He lived with Yocheved for three months prior, right? She hid him for three months. She gave birth prematurely, right? So it could be that he did have a name that his mother called him, but we know him as Moshe from Bat Paron, right? That's significant event. And what she named him, that's what we call him, right? Part of her reward. She, she gets the credit for that. Okay, so what do we have to, let's put this all together, right? What do we have? So we talked about the midwives. We talked about whether they were Jewish, whether they were Egyptian, right? If they were Jewish, so that's significant. Reminds me a lot of, of, of what we talked about when we talked about Esther, right? Jewish people are in dire circumstances. Things are not good for them. But yet, there's still a glimmer of hope, right? Hashem still puts things in position to save his people, to help his people, right? No matter how dire the situation is, there's still something there. We still have to look for it now. God can't do everything, right? The people themselves have to take initiative. And like, like I said, we saw the same thing with Esther, right? God put her in a position to be able to do something. But at the end of the day, she had to make the active choice. She had to show God, I'm on board. And that's exactly what the Meyaldot did. Right? We say that they were Jewish women. They didn't just give up. They kept, they wanted to keep going. Right? And Hashem put them in a position where they could do that. Right? They were in charge of the babies. Paro said, kill the babies. And they said, no, we want our people to keep going. We still have hope. And they made sure to do whatever was in their power to do in order to ensure that the Jewish people, you know, still keep going, even when things seemed bleak. They, they maintained that sense of, you know, we're going to do really what's right. And, and, if, and if you hold that they were Egyptian, right, I think that that point is even stronger, right? The Torah really shows you how it doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter where your surroundings are, um, right, that an individual could always do the right thing. No matter, right, you can't, you can't not do the right thing and absolve yourself of that responsibility and say, well, they, the king made me do it. Right? I was forced. Mm-hmm. Right? I think we see from the Meyaldot, there's no such thing as forced. Right? You, the, who's, if, if the Meyaldot are, are, you know what I mean? If they're not forced, if, if, it was, if, it's, if there's somebody that was forced, it's them. Right? They were literally, the king called them and said, kill all the baby boys. Right? They're like the example of somebody that's forced to do something. And they still didn't do it. They still did what was right. So I think that that really shows us, no matter how forced we think we are or bound by our circumstances or where we come from or whatever we're, we're dealing with, there's, there's always a choice. And there's always a choice to do the right thing. Um, right? Moral responsibility, we don't just toss that aside for, mm-hmm. because we think that we are you know, exempt. Um, and under the guise of I had no choice, right? The king made me do it. Everybody has a choice. And I think from Bat Paro, we see the same thing, right? She was the daughter of the Egyptian king. She was 
for sure exposed to all kinds of atrocities that her father had no problem carrying out, right? Paro doesn't seem like a very moral guy. We have the Gemara telling us that he, you know, did all this avodah zarah, right? That's reaffirmed by the psukim when Moshe comes to tell him, you know, send send out my nation so we can worship God, right? Who's your God? I don't know your God. So he clearly didn't have such a great moral compass. And despite coming from that, she still knew right from wrong. She knew what she had to do. She chose to do the right thing, right? Being the princess of Egypt, the king's daughter, she did the right thing. And like we saw, Hashem supported her through it. Hashem guided her. Um, and, and Hashem ultimately did reward all of these people for what they did and their contributions to the Jewish people um, and how they helped the Jewish people really continue despite their circumstances of you know, being on the brink of losing themselves as a people. Beautiful.